I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. I'm so glad you decided to join us for this episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. As you may know, I just got back from Philadelphia where I was attending the Middle States USPTA conference, which is an event for tennis coaches. And a couple months ago, or actually a few months ago, I was invited to be a speaker at this conference, which was an incredible opportunity for me. And I actually created a presentation called Creating the Champion Tennis Parent, which is what you're about to hear. And I just thought, what a cool chance for me to get up in front of a group of coaches and talk about the parent side of this whole tennis journey and what we as parents are looking for from coaches. And then actually to hear feedback from the coaches themselves about what they need from us. And so I just, I loved being up there and a huge thank you to Tracy Fisher and to John Embry for inviting me and and letting me be a part of this amazing conference. The conference started actually on Friday with a presentation on net generation, which is USTA's kind of new answer to the 10 and under tennis and and for beginning players. And this was actually a four-hour presentation done by Craig Jones and Steve Keller, and it was just unbelievable. I sat in there and and watched and learned along with the coaches, and I'm just so grateful to have had that opportunity. And then that after that, we had lunch, and, and there were some vendors there that I got to chat with. And then Alistair McCaw, actually did a presentation on seven key movement traits of a Grand Slam champion. And he talked about coaching Kevin Anderson at this year's U.S. Open and how he helped Kevin improve his movement and, you know, helped him reach a final of a Grand Slam for the first time. It was it was pretty cool. And then Mike Harper talked about youth tennis and his program in the D.C. area. And Michael is just a super inspiring coach. I'm actually hoping to get him on the podcast in the next few weeks. So keep an ear out for that. Next, Bill Riddle was up and he talked about developing drills for practices. And then um, there was a little bit of fun going on on court and we had a little banquet that night and uh, Middle States handed out a bunch of awards and honored several of their coaches, which was really fun to attend. And then the next day, was my turn. And following the USPTA CEO, John Embry's presentation on what's happening at the national level, I got to speak. And I, again, it was just such a thrill to get to be up in front of these coaches and to have a give and take with them about what we as parents are looking for and what the coaches are looking for from us. So I hope you enjoy my presentation and I hope you learned something from it, and I'm hoping that this is just the first in a series of opportunities for me to speak at these coaching conferences and really kind of spread the gospel of what we tennis parents are looking for in a coach for our junior as as they come up through the process and go through their journey. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thanks for including me. This is 
my first USPTA conference, and I am just thrilled to be part of this and have the opportunity to speak to all of you because, let's face it, people like me, tennis parents, you guys don't like us so much. <laughs> Y'all like to talk bad about us, and it's not unwarranted, right? It's not unfounded. We kind of deserve that... Uh, that reputation. Let me just show you this and see if this guy looks familiar to anybody. <laughs> right? That's been me a lot of times. That's been me a lot. <laughs> I know, the poor guy. I mean, you just got to feel for him, right? So let me just uh, get back to this other slide. So one of the things that happens for us parents is we really feel like we're out of the loop. Yes, we're the ones schlepping our kids to lessons and drills. We're the ones schlepping our kids to tournaments. And we're the ones writing you a check every week or every month. But... We don't feel like we're really such a big part of the process. We feel like we're kind of shut out and kept out of the loop in terms of communication. So I wanted to start by asking you guys a question. I want to see a, a show of hands. How many of you, when you get a new player, a new junior into your program, have a packet that you give to the family? One? Two? Yeah, two people in this room? Yikes. Um, one of the big things that I've been pushing through Parenting Aces is a need for better communication between those of you sitting out here and those of us like me, the parents. We need to feel like we are part of the process. Let me ask another question. How many of you guys have a website that has information for parents. All right, a little better. About six of you in the room. That's, that's a little bit better than the couple who raised your hands about the handout packet. All right, well done. Can I ask what's on your website for parents? Anybody that raised their hand? What specifically do y'all have for us on your website? Clinic descriptions. What, say it again? Clinic descriptions. Clinic descriptions, Payment all right. Say it again? Payment instructions. Payment instructions, uh huh, because we're the check writer. All right, what else? USDA guidelines for parents. Okay. Anything else? I have a presentation that we, was done for parents. So we're having there for, for the people who are not able to attend. Okay, awesome. That's awesome. So I would like to propose that. If I am invited to come back next year and I ask the question, who has a packet for parents, that every single person in this room who coaches juniors raise their hand? Because that is really important. It's your first step in maintaining and establishing a connection and a relationship, not just with the junior player that you're coaching, but with me, the person who's schlepping my kid back and forth, the person who's writing your check. And I need to feel like I'm part of the process. So 
What, what should be in that information packet that you give? Well, first of all, I wanna know that you understand how to create and implement a development plan for my player. I wanna know that when I'm writing that check every month, that I am writing it to somebody who's got a long-term plan in place for my child, that you have the ability and, and the desire to help my child reach his or her highest level in the sport. Because let's face it, tennis is expensive. It's time consuming. If my child's playing tournaments, that impacts my family. And I want to know that if I'm willing to make that investment in my child's tennis, that you're on board with me. We're working together as a team. So that's the first thing I wanna see. Another thing I wanna see is that you have some understanding of how the junior tournament culture works, not just in our city or our state, in our section, nationally. If my child hopefully reaches the level where they're able and have the talent to play ITF tournaments or to start playing futures events, that you have an understanding of how all of that works and how it meshes and that you can explain it to me. Because let's face it, unless I've got a gajillion dollars, you're not the one that's gonna be taking my kid to these tournaments week in and week out because I'm not gonna be able to afford to pay somebody to do that all the time. It's gonna be me and I need to know how all of this works. What am I supposed to do with my child when I get to a tournament? What are we supposed to pack? What's my child supposed to eat before he or she plays? In between matches, what do we do at night? What happens if my child gets sick during a tournament? How do I manage that? Um, if there are doubles available, how do we go about finding a doubles partner? What do we do about warming up before our matches? These are all things that, and listen, I grew up playing junior tennis. And when my son started playing, I didn't have the first clue what to do with him. And his coach never explained it to me, never told me what to do, only said, yeah, I think he's ready to go play a tournament. Sign him up for one, for one. What does that mean? I go on the, the Tennis Link website and there are so many different kinds of tournaments. There's level five, there's level four, there's level three, then there's sectional, then there's national, and how do I know if he's gonna get in? And is this the right level for him? None of that was ever explained to me, yet I was charged with, he's ready to play a tournament, sign him up and take him. That's a problem, right? So again, I want in that packet of information some explanation of how the structure works. And I want to know that you understand how the tournaments work, what the various ratings and rankings are about, and I want you to explain that to me. I don't want to have to learn it on my own and come back to you and say, hey, my kid's not getting in this tournament because his ranking's not high enough. How do we get his ranking up there? What do we do about that? And you look at me and say, well, he has to win more. <coughs> okay, great, <laughs> that would be awesome, but how do we get there? How do we make that happen? So I, I hope that you guys have that knowledge um, about how ratings and rankings work. In my experience, the coaches that I've been around with my kid didn't have that knowledge. 
I was the one educating them. And that's not right. That's not how it should be. You guys need to understand USTA ratings and rankings. You need to understand tennisrecruiting.net. You need to understand universal tennis ratings. You need to understand how the ITF structure works. And then you need to be able to put all of that into a condensed form and give it to me so I, as the check writer, understand it and that I have buy-in into the process and we're all working together to get my kid to that highest level, whatever that may be for a family, right? The other piece of it, and this obviously isn't so important if I'm bringing you my seven-year-old, but if I'm bringing you my 16-year-old, I want you to have an understanding of how college recruiting works. And I wanna know how you are gonna work with my family to make sure that my child has an opportunity, if he wants it and if he is at that level, to play college tennis. What relationship do you have with area tennis, uh, college tennis coaches? How committed are you to taking your kids to college tennis matches and exposing them to this environment and these players and these coaches and getting them pumped up about playing college tennis? What are you gonna do once we are ready to start the recruiting process to help make introductions for my child? And believe me, I am 100% of the mindset that the college recruiting process needs to be driven by the junior player, not by the coach, not by the parent, okay? So I want you to understand that's where I come from. When my son was going through recruiting, he was the one that put together a list of coaches. He was the one who had to find their email addresses. He was the one who had to edit the video to put up on YouTube and then email it to the coaches, follow up with phone calls and emails, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was in the background and I was just the one paying for the ticket in the hotel when we would go visit various campuses or various coaches. So I, I want you to understand that, that I am coming from a place where I feel like this process needs to be player driven. However, you coaches play a huge role in college recruiting. And I have been saying this for several years, but if we don't have college tennis as the carrot, for junior tennis, if that goes away, if we don't do a better job at placing our American juniors in college programs and getting them some sort of scholarship, I'm not talking that it has to be a tennis scholarship because I know what, what it looks like out there. The landscape is bleak, especially for boys, right? There are four and a half scholarships at D1 for boys. That's not a lot of money. And I've been through it, so I, I know what it looks like. But we have to have that as a carrot. And you coaches play a vital role in that. The, the goal, in my opinion, for every junior starting out in tennis should be to play college tennis. That should be the goal. And it's an attainable goal because there is a college tennis team out there for every single player, regardless of level. And I think if you guys would educate yourselves on the opportunities that are available, both locally and then expand your reach a little, you know, make relationships with the coaches in your section and then in the adjoining sections, because I know not every family is okay with their kid going far away from home like my kid did. But make sure you have those relationships. And then I want you to help me through the process. I want you to give me and my child, but me as the parent, a reality check. 
each step of the way. My child starting out, and, and I've written about this, when he, when he was nine years old, he went to tennis camp at University of Georgia. He fell in love with the University of Georgia, the Bulldogs. John Isner was on the team. John Isner was the coach at the summer camp. The kids got to try to return his serve the last day of camp. It was like totally awesome. Coach Manny Diaz is this phenomenal personality. He's warm and, and inviting and he loves every kid that steps on his court. And my son came home from that camp and said, I want to play for Georgia. That's what I'm going to do when I finish my junior tennis. And I was like, awesome. Long story short, my child ended up going across the country to California to play college tennis. And, and that's a whole other story that we'll talk about later. But, um, but I think that had he had that influence from his junior coach to help him kind of understand what he needed to do. And that was the other piece. A coach never said to him, if you want to play for Georgia, here's our plan to get you there, right? You need to be ranked at this level by this age. You need to be playing this level of tournaments by that age. We never heard any of that. It was just, can't wait to see you in the red and black one day. That's not real helpful, okay? So, Another thing is, yes. I think you know one of the things this is great. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Being able to validate the parent, you know, the reality. Yes. So when you know, I think us as coaches, we do ourselves a disservice when we say the kid's very talented. Yes. Or we say the kid's a great athlete, and and parents twist that around to like my kid's going on the pro tour tomorrow. Exactly. So, you know. For us, you know, what is the kind of speak that you want to hear from the pros? Um, besides, you know, the showing pathways and, and ways to get there, but I'm really interested in how you guys hear it because, again, you know, that's a typical speak for, for the pros. They, they can go around and say, you know, this kid's, uh, he's got unbelievable talent. He won a tournament level seven. Right. He's And then there's the other side of it where the parents, Every tournament is the same. Yes. So when they when they get into a level seven, they win a level seven. They continue to stay in level seven. And they're saying, and I've actually had you know the USDA section has been great you know about coming out to the club and trying to educate our parents. It's only that pocket that comes. It isn't everybody. So when we tell even when we tell the parents like a level seven, a level eight is introductory, and you shouldn't really you know have to. Two or three, you know, at, at some point, you've got to move out of that that comfort zone and on to other other tournaments. They don't really hear that. They sort of they, they stay with the wind, you know. Yes. And then we get to the part where we're ready to go to college, and all they have is like a UTR where it's like six, five, right. six, and then they're saying, "Well, you know, how come I can't get into Duke?" Right. When you're like, right. Well, right. Right. Well, and then then that's a great point. And and I agree with you. A lot of us aren't real good at hearing what you have to say when you're honest with us. I, I acknowledge that. And that is one of the reasons that I keep doing what I'm doing, even though my son's not even playing anymore. Right. He's done. I'm no longer a tennis parent in the real sense of the word, other than the fact that I've been there, done that. So I feel an obligation to keep kind of spouting that message that, hey, 
we've got to hear the reality and we've got to understand what that means. I had, um, and I'm going to answer your question in one second. (laughs) I had a parent that called me, her son was in college and he was having a really awful college tennis experience. And she called me really just to vent. It wasn't somebody I'd ever met. Um, She just had read my stuff on Parenting Aces and, you know, felt like I might be a sympathetic ear. And we had this whole long conversation, and I started explaining to her how my son only wanted to play for Georgia, and I was really concerned that he was going to get his heart broken because he wasn't ready. And her advice to me was, well, he's just got to win more. That's what she said to me. And I said, well he's trying to win more like every time he steps on the tournament match court he wants to win like I don't I don't understand what the point of that statement is and we went on to have this conversation but it so I think part of it is that if you guys have a real understanding of what UTR is I think that's a great first step I think UTR is a fantastic tool for reality checks, okay? UTR on their website, for those of you who aren't familiar, is there anybody in here not familiar with UTR? Okay, the rest of you understand? Okay, so UTR is Universal Tennis Ratings. It's Universal Tennis Ratings. Um, If you Google them, go to their website, they have this phenomenal tool where you can put your UTR in and it will spit out a list of colleges where you would fit in the top six, which is a college team plays six lines, right? So it'll spit out a list of schools where you would be in the lineup based on UTR. Now, understand, not all college coaches do their lineups based on UTR. There are a lot of other factors that go into that. But at least it's a jumping off place for understanding where you have a chance to go and actually play tennis. If you're not using that as a family, and if you as a coach aren't guiding your families to use that for the kids that are in high school or even eighth grade, I think eighth grade is really when they need to start putting together a list of potential schools, then you're missing a great opportunity for a reality check, right? Because you can say all day long how talented little Johnny is, but if little Johnny's UTR is an eight, and the starting lineup, the bottom person in the starting lineup is a 12, little Johnny ain't ever playing there, right? That, I mean, the numbers don't lie. They're right there in front of you. So use that as a tool. As a coach, that's a great way for you to get your point across, your message across, right? You don't have to say a word. You just have to say, look up your child's UTR and then use this college, college, I forget what they call it, a college identifier or something. They have a little thing where you type it in and the schools pop up. And and there it is in black and white for the family. It's hard to argue with that, you know. So um, I would say that's a, a great way to start. Now, if you're dealing with an 8, 9, 10-year-old and mom and dad think it's the next Rafa or Serena, then that's a whole other issue. And I think it's one of those things that if they're stuck in level seven, you take the child, you take the child to that next level tournament just as an observer. Let's go out and watch. Let's see what these kids are doing on the court. Do you do that in your matches? Are you, do you have that skill yet? No? Okay, great. This is, do you want to play this next level tournament? Cool. Let's work on that. 
and let's get you to a place where you can come to this tournament and be competitive, right? I mean, there are tournaments every week, every week of some level, whether it's an adult tournament, a college match, a junior event, there's something going on where these kids can go out and, and see and understand what it means to get to that next level. The parents need to see it too. So, you know, for me, one of the most helpful things was to go to a tournament with my child's coach and sit next to the coach and have the coach talk to me through the match and say, you know, this is why he's not winning this, this point. You know, this is where he made the mistake. Oh, no, that's something we've been working on. Look how well he's doing that this week. You know, I'm really pleased to see that he's implementing this thing we're working on. So communication is kind of at the base of everything I'm saying. And I think we have gotten really bad as a society at communicating. We're really good at this. We suck at this, right? We need to get better. So does that answer your question at all? It does. I mean, to some extent. And then we also have, we have parents who, I, I, don't, I guess, you know, again, I think it's our speak. But on the other side of that, I also think there's a disconnect when, when parents, you know, don't understand the system. The disconnect becomes even broader. Yes. And, and wider. I mean, it, it becomes something where, you know, at, at some point, you know, the reality check does come in, and you know, they go to like that level, you know, six, and they get, you know, blown out. So then they they, they sort of, you know, circle back and they say, well. You know, how, how, why does this happen? Why can't he win at this level when he's winning at this level? Mm -hmm. So they don't have a concept of the tournament structure, and you know, I mean, why not though? Why don't they have we it? We out to them, we, we give it to them, but the reality is, parents just hear tournament. Mm -hmm. So they think tournament is across the board the same thing. And then the other thing is, I also think there's there's got to be some reality based. You know, because we're we're also really big on. Um, um, developmental plans with, with the kids. Yes. So we actually hand out, you know, developmental plans to the kids and, you know, with goal setting, you know, for three months, six months, a year. But, but with that, that's only at the top end. The bottom end, we're still trying to tell them what they need to get the foundation skills in place. So if little Johnny is excelling in, you know, orange ball, they, the parent immediately feels like that kid needs to be moved up to another group when in actuality they don't possess all the skill set. And that's where, you know, down down comes down to dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you the truth that your kid doesn't possess a skill set, you're either going to go to another program or you're gonna you're gonna look at the kid and you're gonna say, well maybe he's not gonna pretend to think, well I'll go play cross or I'll go play soccer or I'll go play something like that. So let me ask this. Okay. When you tell me that my kid doesn't possess the skills yeah. to move up are you then following that up by saying, here's what we're going to do to make sure that he does develop those skills? That, that's in the developmental plans for the top. And as far as the other, the other end of the program, our program, I can only talk about our program, but at the bottom end, I mean, we're, we're very big on having those boundaries and the criteria to be able to move up to the next level. Mm -hmm. So if they don't possess that, this is where it sort of becomes imbalanced because you might move up that one kid that... You have no idea that everybody in that group is focusing on. Right. And all of a sudden, man, if I move up that one kid in that, out of that group, every other parent in that group is saying, well, my kid's just as good as that kid. Why can't my kid move up? And what's your answer to that? 
Well, because they don't possess the same skill set as that kid. And then I'm going to say to you, I'm paying you the same amount of money as that parent over there. Why aren't you making sure my kid doesn't have the same skills? And that's where... That's a valid question. It's a a valid question from a parent's standpoint. Yes. From a a coach's standpoint. I mean, if the kid doesn't... It's not at that majority level that, that doesn't possess the business level, you know. Are you telling me that, though? I need you to tell me that. Absolutely. Your child hasn't hasn't had a growth spurt yet. Right. I am fully confident when your child has a growth spurt, if he continues coming out here and working hard, that we're going to get them to we're going to get your child to that level too. Or your child is having a little bit of trouble concentrating when he's out here. He really needs to work on those skills of focus and concentration. Let's talk about some things that maybe you can work on at home to help him develop those skills. Are you hearing the same thing from his teachers at school? Because maybe this is an issue that needs to be addressed at a, at a more macro level. Maybe it's not just a tennis issue. So I'm saying to you as a parent, you see things from a coach's perspective that I can't always see as the parent. First of all, it's my baby, you know, fruit of my loins. I mean, this child is perfect in my eyes. They can do no wrong, right? I have a hard time seeing the things that you're seeing that are in, that's impacting your ability to get them to that next step. And I sometimes need you to find a gentle way, sometimes not so gentle way, sometimes you've got to be just direct, and help me understand what I can do to help you. Because here's the thing, we're a team, right? Without me, my child doesn't achieve that next level. Without you, they sure as heck don't achieve that next level. If we're not working together, then the child has no shot. It takes all of us. Yes? And how I was talking to you and your response was, you know, if you do this, we will get you there. If you do this, we will. But you're also giving false expectations. Okay. So we will attempt to get them there if we have this goal set. Okay, but I like we, that. If it's, if it's we will or you're going to get there, then you're doing a disservice at the same time. You're right. Just to tell the parent what they want to hear. You're right. So I think you have to be honest about it and set the goals, but say this is the reality and we'll be more than happy. We'll, we'll try to get them to that point. Yeah. But I just, that was just one thing. I no, I think that's, that's important. Thank you for pointing that out. I think that's really important. And I think that you're right. We, we parents need to understand reality. Versus reality. Absolutely. And absolutely. Um, we, we do need to understand that better. And at the same time, I agree that, you know, we need to have this back and forth and it takes all of us. So if I drop the ball on my end, if I don't get my kid the extra help he may need in order to help you do your job better, then it's a fail. If I do get my kid the extra help and you don't do what you need to do to get them there, it's a fail. Right? If my child's not willing to put the work in, it's a fail. Right? It takes all of us it's, working but together. But that's the thing, but it's not a failure. Because you're still getting out to go on the court to learn a skill set life lessons. So why does it have to be defined that way? I think that's a big problem just from my perspective. Okay. Okay, fair enough. And and I hear you. I'm saying if if the child has said my goal is this, the parent has agreed to support that and the coach has said, yes, I am capable of helping your child get there, but one of us doesn't do our job, then the child isn't reaching their goal. 
So that's what I'm talking about in terms of a fail. Okay. So Lisa, yes. I know you want to get your presentation, but the no, conundrum ahead. for so many pros is that I don't know if I want to tell the parent the reality situation because they have these high expectations and I'm afraid I might lose that student because they're going to go somewhere else. Yes. And, and so there's a financial yes. concern that that pro doesn't want to lose that student because he doesn't want to face up to the parents and say, look, your kid's not there yet. These are the stuff we got to work on. The parent says, well, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. Right. And that's a, that's a challenge for our, for our organization in general because parents have these unreal expectations of what their child's going to be able to do. And I hear that all the time from coaches. I do. And I get it. And all I can do is speak to my experience and the experiences that have been shared with me. But I will say that if I have trust in you as a coach, if you have shared with me <coughs> that you understand what it means to develop a player, you understand how the competition structure functions, you understand how the college recruiting system works, and you have shown me that you have a three-month, six-month, 12-month, five-year plan to help my child reach whatever goal it is that he or she has set, whether that's you know playing um, JTT or whether it's playing high school tennis or playing college tennis, I'm, I understand not every child has the same goal for their tennis life, right? But if you have shown me as a coach that you understand my child's goal and how to help them get there and where I fit into the process and what my child has to do and what you have to do, I think I'm less likely to say bye-bye I'm finding somebody else just because we have a little setback. I think I'm less likely to do that. Tracy. So to your point, John, and I see this all the time with my own kids in different programs we've been in, I get the conundrum of if, if you're maybe utterly honest with some parents with unrealistic expectations that they may just, you know, grab their kid and leave. But alternatively, I've seen so many times where pros maybe aren't as direct or honest about the potential of a kid or what it is their program can offer a child. So the parent stays thinking, Okay, this is going to be a high-performance development program like for Johnny, who wants to play D1. And uh, they stay in the program. They continue spending thousands of dollars. All the while, they're getting angry, right, and, and frustrated because right. they think they've had an agreement, and it's not being delivered in terms of the value that they've spent. And to me, and maybe this is naive, the parent is staying there and becomes a cancer almost in the program because they start bad-mouthing you and your program to everyone they sit with yep. and we all know this so I, I don't know part of me thinks it's better to be honest up front and if they decide to leave bye bye like it's better for them to leave than to stay and corrupt everybody else as pros we're, we're competing not only with, you know with other programs that have certified pros but we're also competing against the uncertified program. Correct. So the guy out in the park is doing a lesson and teaching your kids balls yes. for, for, you know, $50. Right. You know, we're all saying, well, you know, he doesn't have as much credibility as we do here, and you should know that. So that, and, and that's where I think, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Because yes. I don't, again, I don't think we've done a good enough job of educating the parent about what a certain The value of your certification. Right. And, and let me just say that, that Keith and David and I yesterday, we did a Facebook Live during yesterday morning's session explaining what 
a coach has to go through to get USPTA certified. Explaining, these guys explained in detail the steps of what you go through and what the testing is, is all about and what it means to be a USPTA certified teaching professional. And that got posted on the Parenting Aces Facebook group and I'm pushing that out. That's one of the things I've been talking about a lot on the Parenting Aces podcast is understanding what it means to hire a coach for your child. What are the things you need to look for? Why do you need to hire a certified professional to work with your child? Why is it not okay to just hire Joe Blow off the street? So understand that I'm, I'm trying to get that message out to my audience. I think it's a huge message that needs to be pushed out. And hopefully you guys you know, will help me with that. Um, and, and one of the things I was going to say at the end of my presentation, but I'll say it now, is if any of y'all want to be a guest on my podcast and talk about what you do as a certified coach, what you have gained by being certified by USPTA, what you bring to the table to a family as a certified coach, please reach out to me. I, I do a podcast every single week, year-round. I am always looking for people to come on and help educate the parents about how to do a better job. So the invitation's out there. But even from a continuing education standpoint, I yeah. think it, it's a different thing. Absolutely, but let's talk about it. Let's get that message out more and harder to the people that are hiring you. But I also agree that we have to be honest. We have to really be honest with Tracy and you. Please. Instead of just saying this great athlete and she's a great athlete, she has a lot of talent. Those words are so broad and empty. They mean nothing. Yeah. 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 The the bottom line with what you're saying is, you are the consumer. Yes. And we as professionals, we teach a lesson. Yes. And you as the consumer are telling us, this is how you're going to do a better job of servicing your customer. This is what I'm taking from it, and it's 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 absolutely wonderful. And all the things that we're discussing here are surrounding that whole process, whether the pro chooses to accept that, right? That what the consumer wants, right? And work with them, or not, right? And I think that's the most valuable thing of all. So, okay, good. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Just two quick things. When they said about having you know just regular people teaching, mm-hmm. in my community, the pros will actually get all the township contracts. So they'll say USPTA certified a PTR, but they've never showed up. They have high school kids go out and just run all the clinics. So there's a huge disconnect because the kids aren't getting what's being advertised from our profession itself. And the other thing is just an expectations. I just, this was interesting to me and I had, a, I was talking to one of my players and the parents and his goal was to play number the one. Area oh, that sorry, sorry, sorry. Was, was that? Sorry, go ahead. And, and I said, <laughs> and he, there's this one kid who's ranked really highly and he's just, he's a senior, This he's gonna be a senior and my kid's gonna be going in as a freshman, he's a senior, and he just played in the last six, four, seven, five. Okay. And he's all excited. I said, "You will beat him next year. However, you will not be number one because that kid played every single year as number one. He has a relationship with the coach. It doesn't define who you are, even though you're probably going to beat him. This is the realistic expectation because I know the coach. Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, I'm just saying, so as you're going through, you know, his expectations to find out and talk to what his goal, the dad's goal, and then what reality is, right. he's like, well, if I beat him, why aren't I number one? Yeah. But it, it's not going to work that way realistically. So you'll have your opportunity, but that year, you're not going to be playing number one, even though I pretty much guarantee you'll beat him. Yeah. So I'm just saying, I think that open communication, because the parents are, like, this parent shows up every single lesson and sits there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was just the other thing. Yeah. No, I but think. How do we get pros from subcontracting? Every single thing. In my community, it happens all the time. There's not one pro that ever shows up, and they control everything, and you have high school kids who have no value teaching. Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I won't, no, won't address that one. But the, another point I wanted to move on to, um, because I, I don't know how much time I've got left, but um, I wanted to talk about burnout and preventing burnout with these kids, because I also have experienced that firsthand. And I think this is a huge issue that we parents need you coaches to help us with. When my son was a junior in high school, one of the boys on his high school team was getting ready to go to college and made the decision not to play college tennis. And I heard that and I was like, oh my God, his parents must be heartbroken. This is a disaster. They've invested all this time and money and this kid's so good. And He's going to college and he's not playing tennis in college? Oh my God, how did that happen? And it was the worst thing in the world, right? Well, that kid went to college, he joined a fraternity, he has had huge success in his grades, in his social life, he's enjoyed every minute of every day in college, and now I look at him and I'm like, all right, I get it. Like, the kid was done with tennis, he needed a change, he was going away, he needed to shift gears. I'm now seeing that same thing happen with my kid who's not playing anymore. And I think it's really sad that that happens. And I have a lot of faith that my kid will come back to tennis eventually. Um, he was too good, I think he will come back. But it makes me really sad as a parent that this happened. My point to telling you all of this was he took from January to May, his freshman year, completely off from tennis. Did not touch a racket, did not go to the gym, did not run, did not do anything. And when he picked up that racket again in May, he was recommitted to his training. He, it took him a couple weeks to kind of get his timing back and to build his stamina up, but within a month, he was fine. He was right back at the level he was in January, and he progressed from there and got better from there. So for him to take that break was not a big deal, wasn't the end of the world. And I wish I had understood that when he was in high school. I wish somebody had said to me, it's okay for your kid to take a break and go do something else. It doesn't mean that his tennis is going down the toilet. It's fine, he's gonna be fine. He's, he's already grooved all of this stuff into his body he, and his brain. He understands all of the mechanics. He understands the tactical and, and the, the training piece and all of the things he needs to know to be successful on the court. That's all grooved already. Taking some time away is only gonna benefit him. I wish his coach had said that to me or a coach had said that to me or another parent had said that to me but nobody did. So I'm gonna put this on y'all 
that I, I would like you to keep that in mind, that you long term will be doing families a huge favor if you encourage these kids to really pay attention to when they're starting to feel a little negative or a little exhausted by their tennis and take a break. Don't make every school vacation about going to a tournament. I made that mistake. Every Thanksgiving, we were at a tournament. Every winter break, we were at a tournament. All summer, we were at tournaments. My kid never had downtime. Was that the coach telling you to do that, or you did that independently every on, on your breaks to go to all the tournaments? Both. It was my kid wanting to have a certain ranking, the coach saying the best way for him to get that ranking is to go to these events because there are a lot of points available, you know, if you do well, and me buying into that. So it was, it was coming from all directions. But I think if the coach had said, and, I, and I'm, listen, I can't go back because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I think, I hope, if I had heard from my child's coach, your kid is exhibiting signs of burnout. He needs a break. This, this school break, can y'all like go to the beach or do something and not even take his rackets and not talk tennis? Like, can you just give him that time away? I, I think, I hope I would have listened to that if the coach had followed that statement up by saying, I promise you it's not gonna impact his skill level. I promise you it's not gonna negatively impact hit. Maybe not promise, all right. I, I, I don't think it's gonna impact his skill or his ranking if for him to take this break. And in fact, I think it probably will benefit him in the long run. I have one other question, just. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we have, like, I might have a kid for an hour a week, and they're coming in, and they're pretty much going to be devoted during that one hour because they know that's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what happens behind the scenes. It's the same thing as the teacher. When the teacher has to raise the kids, they're not doing this in school, but it's never the parent's responsibility. Right. Did your child ever convey to you, I don't want to go to practice, I don't want to do this or anything? So yeah. we don't always have, we don't know. I mean, in all fairness to us, we don't know that. You well, know, if you're only if having you're them an hour a week, I agree with you. But if you have them three hours a day, three to five days a week, well, that's different. Okay. That's a different situation, right? Huh? I want that kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. With that being said, there's also you know a dollar and cents. There's a dollar and cents. So you know, pro. Right. You're losing money if my kid takes a break. I get it. So. But, but, but is it better for you to lose money for three months while he takes a break, or is it better for you to permanently lose that kid where you've got four more years potentially with them? again, I think it also comes down to us as pros being able to manage our own program or, or our, own, our own time management. Because, again, if, I, if I'm dependent on your kid to be in my 40-hour book, and now all of a sudden that kid's going out of that 40-hour book, i got to replace it with that right. as a tennis pro. But that also being said, I think it's also, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me that we, we need each other. Yes. So, and like periodization schedules have been out since, since God. You know, How many of y'all use those? You know, so. Uh, so okay. You know, and there's rest built into that. Yeah. So you would be able to, you know, time management, 
yourself in the sense of, all right, well, I'm going to be out this period. I'm okay right. with that. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. What was that called? Was there Periodization schedule. Periodization. Yes. There's also a very clear difference between, you know, a, a lesson and someone who coaches your child. Right. The coach's role is a special one. Yes. The person who takes a lesson takes a lesson. That's fine. But the person who coaches and or mentors is responsible to communicate those things, and especially when it comes to issues of concern, you know, with a, with a child. Mm -hmm. And at, for those of, you know, who've gone through the coaching seminars and so forth, we're responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And But I think that that is becoming more and more available to our, our, our pros as we attend seminars and conferences and so forth, so that should get better. But the consumer aspect, I think, is the most, I think that's the most interesting part. And I suspect that if you're just teaching a one hour a week lesson to a kid, you're not getting pushback from the parents so much. If that's the parent's only commitment to you is one one hour lesson a week, I suspect y'all aren't hearing a ton from those parents. It's, it's the parents like me who are, you know, whose kid is fully invested in the tennis and the parents are fully invested, the family's fully invested in the tennis. I suspect we're the ones that y'all are getting the pushback from. Am I right? Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah? Yeah. So I'm thinking from if you have a parent that you're working with but they choose not to follow your guidelines, so let's say a kid that you find eighteen targets a year and you told them that's probably not a good idea, you told them really you shouldn't do that, why not? Mm -hmm. And also from uh, the idea of either taking a break or kids becoming going through the routine because he's been he's starting to learn that process or she um, the parents choose not to and they're going and chasing the points of the habit. Uh, what would you suggest in that case? Well, I mean, in a, in an ideal world, I would say you fire that family, right? If they don't have enough trust in you as the coach to follow your advice, then why do you want to work with them? I mean that's how I would be. I wouldn't want to work with somebody that didn't trust me implicitly, you know? I've made a mistake twice and kids out. Yeah, and I, I think it happens a lot. I think, I think coaches don't want to fire clients because, again, we get back to the financial impact of, of making that choice. But the flip side of it is, why are you going to make your life miserable? You're, you're the coach. You have to deal with me and my kid who doesn't want to be there and me, who's you know arguing with you every step of the way, or, or doing the complete opposite of what you're advising me to do, any other business, you wouldn't continue to have that person as a client. You would fire them. Y'all are entitled to fire us. You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to make a side note on that. I think a lot of people don't realize this, whether we're talking Sorry. about, you know, the pro, whether we're talking about, you know, the coach or even the player, is that if you always focus on it being about the sport, tennis or even another sport, getting to college, and not focus on what other activities you want to do, what's your major, those things are important too, and I can't tell you how many times a lot of the parents come up to me asking, what's your advice on majors, which is good because not only are they thinking about the tennis aspect, they're also thinking about what's the future going to be like, whether if the tennis burns out mm -hmm. completely. Um, one of the girls I actually coach, 
she was just at the state tournament, she made a comment saying she's so burnt out of playing singles. Like, why can't she play doubles for a bit? You know, but it's those cues, at least in my opinion, that helps <coughs> to build, um, continue to build the program and help make it a positive experience because if it's not a positive, positive experience with them going on, it's gonna be difficult for them to even have fun later on in college or even throughout their whole life. And I've seen it a lot, especially with the adults that I, well, that I play on a lot of teams with too. Right, and from an industry standpoint, let's face it, we want to not only help these kids achieve their goals with juniors in college, we want them to be lifelong tennis players, right? We want to have them be the next consumer generation of our sport. We want them buying the rackets and the clothes and all of that stuff. So, you know, this is, this is not kind of a conversation for this room per se, but more with USTA of making sure that we keep these kids in the sport long term because today's juniors are the next generation's adult consumers who are then having, you know, they're the next generation of parents and the cycle continues, right? So if we let them burn out and drop out of the sport altogether, our sport doesn't stand a chance, right? Yeah, that, okay, thank you. Yes. Um, so I, this is an amazing topic, and I think as you can see by the response, like we probably we could talk about this for you know the entire morning. Um, I think I wanted to get your thought on this uh, that like this process actually starts like a lot earlier than I think the level that we're talking about right now, right? I think when the, when the parents come in and the kids are in your ten and under programs, that's when you really I feel like we can really have a chance to really over educate as in as many ways and as many different formats as possible because. The parents are more kind of open to receiving the knowledge at that point because they know they don't know anything, right? By the time the kid's 13, 14, 15, they've already been to tournaments and they've spoken to other parents and they've had all these kind of outside influences and you are no longer like their tennis guru as much. They're almost kind of feeling like they can kind of have like a back and forth with you at that point. You know what I mean? Well, you missed um, the beginning, I think, that's where I, I, asked, I asked the question at the beginning, how many people in here have a packet of information they give when mm -hmm. a family first starts with them? Yeah. Two hands. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, you're speaking to exactly that point. Yeah. You have to, the first minute you make contact with me, you have to establish that relationship where you're going to educate me. Mm -hmm. and and bring me into your way of thinking, your way of approaching tennis, and you have to get my buy-in from day one, because then the trust develops. Then I'm less likely to jump ship when my kid's going through a down period. Then I'm less likely to, to buck what you're telling me and keep putting my kids in tournaments, even though you're telling me, listen, I'm seeing some signs of burnout here, he needs a break. Right. right. Yeah, I think that like the, the challenge that I'm seeing when I whenever I have these conversations, a lot of coaches seem to study tennis, but not as many study kids, right, and child development. And so the challenge becomes the parents trust that we understand <coughs> tennis, but they don't trust that we know what's best, for, like that mm -hmm. we understand their kid right. and what their kid is going through. So they feel like that decision is entirely on them, and the tennis coach gets what my kid needs from a tennis perspective, but maybe doesn't necessarily get what my kid needs from a growing child right. perspective. I think that's a valid point. And I'm almost out of time, so I want to just quickly, um, and I'll be around all day, so if anybody wants to talk one-on-one, -on -one, I'm, I'm here. Um, I want to just challenge y'all to do a couple things. The first thing is, for all of the parents of the kids that you work with, will you please, please, please encourage them to visit parentingaces.com? 
I have so many articles on my website, not just written by me, not just firsthand experiences of things I've gone through, but also articles contributed, contributed to the site by other coaches, other parents, other people in the industry. And it's all divided up into some really great categories, things like 10 and under, um, newbies, um, college recruiting, uh, coaching, tournaments, rankings, all of that. So there's some really good information there. And also, I do a weekly podcast. So my other challenge is, as I mentioned before, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, there's all my contact information. <laughs> Write it down. It's all over my website. I, I'm not shy. I, I put my contact info out there because I want people to call me. I want people to email me. And believe me, my phone rings and my email inbox is always full from parents who have questions about how to do this tennis thing. Right? And I'm not an expert. I just have done it one time with one kid. And my experience is my experience that I own, but I am happy to share it with anybody and share what I've learned from that experience. And I, I will tell you whatever I can to help you on your journey. So um, please, please, please contact me. Yeah? Just before you close, how many followers do you have? I, um, on the website, I have I think 172,000 right now. Um, so it's a pretty big audience, and it's I I know y'all are US PTA, but the reach is international. So um, that's kind of the cool thing too, because I do have guests on the podcast that are coaches in other countries or parents from other countries that share how they are doing things. So. Um, those are those are two of the charges for y'all. I'm here. I want to partner with y'all. I want to help you do your job better and help get the word out to the parents. So please take advantage and thanks for being here. Thank you. I hope you were able to hear the questions that were asked. Um, I know the sound quality wasn't perfect. It was me recording the presentation on my iPhone, but um, hopefully you could hear the questions and, and my answers as as the presentation went along. And I just want to mention, too, that after my presentation, Alistair McCall spoke again on his new book. He's uh, got a new book out, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes for this week, but um, the new book is called Champion Minded, and I, I can't wait to dig into it. And then after Alistair, we went back to the tennis courts where Princeton coach Billy Pate showed a bunch of different doubles drills, which was so fun to watch. And then Tim Mayotte actually did a presentation on how to teach in progressions. So as a parent, it was so interesting to kind of get inside the head of a tennis coach and understand how they how they put together their lessons and and their lesson plans and and their developmental plans and and I just I loved every minute of being in Philly. So again, I want to say a huge thank you to the Middle States USPTA for bringing me up there and uh I hope you guys enjoyed the the presentation and we'll see you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at parentingaces.com. 
As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com.